Ladies and gentlemen, Robert Eggers. Okay, thanks. Uh, I've made two feature films and some short films nobody's seen, and uh, so it's still strange to me that anyone cares what I might have to say. Uh, yeah, but anyway, thank you very much, and thanks to BAFTA. It's, it's truly an honor to, to be here. Uh, I've never lectured before, and perhaps it's just uh, uh, the word um, lecture, but uh, it makes me anxious. Um, I feel comfortable public speaking. Um, the only training I have is as an actor, um, and my theater background uh, makes me happy to be in front of an audience. Uh, I, feel, I do feel more comfortable here than uh, at a cocktail party. Um, luckily, there's cocktails, uh, and I have one here just in case. Um, so, um, you know, I, 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 but I'm really looking forward to the conversation later uh, because the, the, a Q&A is where I feel I, I, I thrive um, a, a little more. Um, I, I almost thought about just asking myself a series of questions up here to make myself feel more comfortable, but I will spare you that strangeness. Um, so I, I want to say, as you all know, uh, the most important thing we can do as people who are trying to make creative work is to be yourself and uh, embrace what is uniquely you and your own voice. So obviously, I'm just talking about uh, my approach, and uh, and I and it's and it's unique to the kind of strange interests uh, that I have. And I, I just hope that there's some tools that you can put in your toolbox uh, that can work with how you are you. Um, I also want to say that um, as many of the uh, other incredibly accomplished filmmakers that I, 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 it's an honor to be among in, in this series, I'm a writer and director. So the way that I write my screenplays is, uh, would be inappropriate if I weren't directing them. Um, uh, as, as an actor who recently turned down a role in one of my movies said uh, that the screenplay was overwrought. Uh, and, and there is a kind of indulgence um, in the, the details of my screenplays that would be entirely foolish if I was writing for another director. There's a level of specificity in the, the blocking uh, you know, if Willem Dafoe wears his reading glasses like this, if Robert Pattinson scratches his ear like this, it may very well be in the screenplay. Uh, there's never uh, in my screenplay, Rome burns or they fight. You know, Arthur draws Excalibur, he thrusts towards the giant who parries and, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> so, um, uh, so there. Uh, okay, so. That out of the way, um, I'll start at the beginning. Um, uh, again, this feels so odd, uh, but uh, you know what? What? What's what's the inspiration? Where? Where? Where do the ideas come from to to write something? Uh, <clears throat> it depends on the on on the script, as I'm sure you would all agree. Uh, I, I had an incredibly intense nightmare uh, many years ago 
um, that led to uh, the idea of a, of a story. I walked around Brooklyn for five hours and, and had the structure of a screenplay that took me six years to write. That was terrible. Um, but, you know, I just kind of had it. Um, most often, I have a, a, an atmosphere, which I'll talk about a lot later, um, and some images that um, get me going. And sometimes it's something pragmatic. Um, I did, and, and, and very often it's a combination of a few of these things. Um, I made a short film called Brothers that was a proof of concept to try to get the witch financed. Um, uh, it had been many years since I'd made a short film, and my most recent work was a very stylized piece based on Edgar Allan Poe, which featured a puppet as a lead character and uh, performances that were truly weird. Uh, and uh, my producer said, you know, if you want anyone to finance the witch, you probably ought to make a new short, and it should feature uh, naturalistic performances by children um, and scary woods. Um, and so that was a task, you know, and, and, so, and, and thus I was able to find a story that uh, met with that pragmatic task. Um, with, with The Witch, um, uh, I, I had written many feature screenplays that no one wanted to, to finance, and I felt that as an American uh, director, at the time, if I wanted to get a film finance, it, it, it seemed like it needed to be in an identifiable genre. All of my sort of weirder films that no one cared for. Uh, so I thought, well, it should it'll probably have to take place in New England because that's where I'm from. And given that it'll probably have no budget, I'll have to shoot it in like the proverbial, my parents' backyard. And witches are the archetypal New England spook. And I've been interested in, in them, so that makes sense. Uh, so there's the pragmatic end. But then I truly, as a kid, and this sounds a little precious, but I really did imagine the, the fact that there were Puritans walking around who grew up in uh, the reign of Queen Elizabeth who were you know, tromping around the woods behind my house. Um, and, and that was, and living a, a, an almost medieval ex existence. And you pair that with the belief in a real witch, and that was an atmosphere that really um, excited me. Um, uh, you know, with 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 the lighthouse. Um, s s similarly, my brother said uh, uh, that he was working on a ghost story in a lighthouse, and that phrase, "a ghost story in a lighthouse," uh, conjured up the images uh, uh, of the movie, the, the the visual atmosphere, the crusty, musty, dusty, rusty, uh, black and white square aspect ratio, uh, and, and then I needed to find a story that uh, accompanied that. So anyway, all of these things really finally have to do with what I'm really interested in and what is sort of uniquely me, I think, maybe, uh, which is my interest in, in, in ghost stories, fairy tales, uh, folk tales, mythology, religion, sometimes the occult. Uh, that's what really gets me excited. I would rather write a, a novel or paint a painting that has to do with that stuff than uh, to, to, to just make a movie. Uh, and, and, and all that really has to do with uh, the, the past, which weirdly may somehow be my, my biggest passion. Um, I think that uh, there's complicated things about uh, organized religion, uh, but there's also com complicated things about, like, uh, in, in an entirely 
secularized society, uh, we, we, we lose um, the, the sublime and, and the sacred sometimes. And so I find that what, what really excites me is to kind of understand where we're coming from and where we're going uh, from where we, where we came from. And, and, to, and to try to go back into the past to, 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 to think about ideas that are bigger than ourselves. The genre that tends to explore that today is science fiction, which makes sense uh, when, like, you know, number is, is God and in, in the, like, in, 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 you know, intelligentsia that we're probably all a part of. Um, but I, I like to stay in, in the past. And what's very important to me when I begin writing a piece is to not have uh, a, a message, uh, to not have um, any intention beyond staying true to the world in which I'm trying uh, to, to write in. Um, so, but, but, but thank heavens, like as much as I try to seal myself up like an anchorite uh, or, and lock myself in my alchemical cell, uh, you know, the world is not, my world is not vacuum sealed. So I am affected by the zeitgeist, whether I want to be or, or not. And if, and, and that's important because otherwise, you know, the witch can't just appeal to people uh, who are, are alive in the 1630s and the lighthouse can't just appeal to people who are alive in the 1890s because there's not enough graveyard screenings uh, for that to be profitable. Um, uh, so, you know, with the witch, um, uh, I, I'm, I'm happy that, that, that most people, though not everyone for sure, uh, sees the film as a feminist film. If I were to be objective and stand back, I, I think I would agree with that stance. Uh, but that was not my intention. I just wanted to make a witch movie, as I kind of said. And, 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 but, 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 but that's what happened. With, with The Lighthouse, which I don't know if people have seen, um, I, you know, I was just trying to make a ghost story in a lighthouse, uh, which it's finally not. But it became, you know, when I was writing this story, this hyper-masculine story about two men I, with my brother, I was thinking, this is, why are we writing this right now? This is the worst time to be writing this story. And then once we had the first draft, we realized, like, oh, I guess we're talking about toxic masculinity and, like, everything that's, like, uh, messed up about it. So, uh, so that's, that's cool. Um, and uh, you know, but 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 even still, when you're getting into this this uh, other world, you know, you can't be judgmental of the characters and the time period. You can't uh, rewrite history um, to to uh, to to conform to the zeitgeist. But you do have a responsibility to understand what's going on today and not be foolhardy. Uh, the the thing that I'm working on currently has slavery and violence against women, and, uh, and it takes place in, in the Viking Age. So that's gonna happen. But how do I tell those stories without rewriting hi history responsibly? I don't, you know, those are the questions I have to ask myself and I can't provide easy answers. Um, so uh, continuing to stay quite large, uh, a, a few things that I think about and struggle with uh, is trying to find a harmonious balance of certain opposites in, in my writing. Uh, the, 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 over, the largest things would be like, I, I, you know, Dionysian versus Apollonian. The sort of, um, or, or I'll start with Apollonian, which is, you know, the, 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 the structure, the, uh, what, what patriarchal, patriarchal Western culture would call like male ideals, and then the, Di the Dionysian, uh, female 
mysterious the uh, stuff. Like how do you create a balance of something that is like rigorous and, and structured and, and, and clear, but also has enigma and, and mystery and atmosphere. Um, moving further uh, with, with these uh, opposites, uh, the, the mythic versus the naturalistic. Uh, I'm, I, again, I'm drawn to uh, archetypal storytelling. I'm drawn to archetypal characters. Uh, how do you um, make them believable? Um, it, it's, 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 um, it's, it's difficult. Um, in, in, in doing this kind of archetypal storytelling, even if it's based on a fairy tale or a myth, I still try to bring in you know, my, my personal experiences, the things that, that, that are me. When my brothers first read uh, The Witch screenplay, they said, you know, even though this is the 17th century, it sounds like our family arguing, you know? Um, uh, and that's, and that's, that's very important. You know, someone uh, ha ha not just conveying plot, but, but, but also having little... Uh, asides that are about life. Like these kinds of things can, of course, uh, ground it. And, and another thing that really helps me, uh, which is not surprising, is, is knowing the, the space. Like when I, when I write, it's very helpful for me to kind of have a dollhouse and dolls and their clothing and know what's in each room uh, in, in order for me to like really imagine uh, what's, what's going on. And also because I'm uh, telling stories that take place in the past and aren't my personal experience. By creating this dollhouse in my head and with mood boards and such, like I'm, I'm able to, to see it clearly enough to own it. Because if I can't experience uh, what I write as my own memories, uh, I, I can't, it can't be truthful. I, again, that's sort of a precious statement, but, but that's how I try to look at it. It's taking every moment on as if I, this is a, a moment from my personal past in order, in order to tell it. Um, another one of these opposites for me is atmosphere versus story. Uh, all you need to make a film that's incredibly engaging is an excellent script with a great story and serviceable performances. They don't even have to be good. They just have to be serviceable. You don't need good cinematography. You don't need good art direction. You don't need good costumes. You don't need good sound design. You have to have professional sound, <laughs> so it's not distracting. But it's really about that script. But for me, <clears throat> both my two feature films have very simple stories. The Witches has a very clear, simple story. The Lighthouse is almost void of story. Uh, it's almost the same scene over and over and over and over and over again with changing power dynamics. So in, in, my, in my films, like, you need atmosphere for the world to uh, survive, for the film to survive. And the atmosphere you know, is an accumulation of details. Uh, and these details come from my research. They come from, uh, from the, the weather. They come from the light. They come from, uh, you know, the, the format uh, that we shoot on, they come, they come from all, all of these things. Uh, and, uh, and, and, and an atmosphere, like, in some ways, is, like, is, a, is a visual obstacle. Uh, this, um, and I mean that in a positive way. Um, Emmanuel Lebesky, a.k.a. Chivo, uh, uh, obviously, I couldn't admire him more. 
and but he he's very excited about shooting. This isn't writing, sorry. But he's very excited about shooting a Lexus 65, um, and and he has a quote kind of saying that we that in the history of cinema we've been looking at the world through dirty windows, and finally now like we can see the world clearly with a Lexus 65 and the like technology. I like the dirty windows, you know. Like I like having to peer in through something that it, it excites me. So. Um, We'll, we'll get uh, further into, like when I really start talking about uh, period research, we'll get further into, into atmosphere and, and details and, 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 the, and the research process. But I'd like to play uh, the first clip. All the clips are a little long, so sorry. Caleb. God give you good morrow. All is still bad. Save mother. Tis no ease to rise on a grey day. Um, it's hard for me to watch The Witch uh, because it just didn't, it doesn't always quite live up to my expectations. We had <clears throat> to shoot it digitally um, for financial reasons, and I'm glad that we did. But it does, you know, it, it, like the irony is, I'm 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 using that as an example of atmosphere. Yet I find it to be quite naked. Uh, um, Dick Pope uh, um, 
was talking about Mike Lee's Peterloo, which I thought was a fine looking digital film. And uh, Dick Pope, like myself, finds it blasphemous to add film grain if you're shooting with the Alexa, but he um, added uh, a bit more digital noise, and I wish that uh, we had had that idea with The Witch. But in any case, uh, that is you know, an example of, of the kind of atmosphere that uh, I'm trying to create, and all of the goat bleats and, uh, the, and the dirty uh, stockings and uh, the rushes on the floor and um, all that stuff is very carefully, and the creaking ladder rungs is all very carefully described in, in the screenplay. Again, like that kind of detail in the screenplay might be laborious, but I feel like in my movies that are sometimes like thin on plot, like if you can't like uh, get that atmosphere from the text, like we, we don't have an, any understanding of what I'm, of what I'm trying to do here. Um, I, I, I very often describe the odors um, in my screenplays as well in order so that we can better uh, convey that feeling when we watch it. The other thing that's important potentially about this clip is it's kind of showing the audience my dollhouse. I think that it's not always important for the audience to know geography, but um, in this clip and in the next clip, um, we we are we I, you know that kind of, the geography of 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 their cottage was important and so early on in the film we're establishing the atmosphere and the mood uh, and then uh, and and then we are showing the layout of uh, the, the lay of the land so to speak and the same thing uh, will happen with the next clip uh, from 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 the lighthouse uh, but uh, you know going back to like pragmatism. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about producer and studio notes at some point in the Q and A because that's another interesting topic. But you know, um, the film was supposed to start uh, not—I uh, don't know if everyone's like seen The Witch or not—but basically, the film was supposed to start uh, not much further back from that. Uh, and the, my uh, my producers and financiers wanted me to start earlier, like in with them leaving the village or the plantation that they came from, which I thought was ridiculous, and I didn't want to be doing like Little House on the Prairie, and uh, and I so I wrote a scene sort of um, uh, uh, that I thought would be too expensive that we couldn't shoot, and then everyone loved it. And then we had to find a way to like fit it into the budget, uh, and uh, you know, and I kept trying to cut it out of the movie, but actually they were right. We didn't. We did need it. Um, so sometimes studio notes are good. Okay, let's watch the next clip. <laughs>
Uh, um, he continue, He goes upstairs and he sees more, but you know, we got to get on with the night. Um, uh, as far as you know, the dollhouse goes. Uh, so that it was about four minutes, and that was four pages of writing, um, which which easily, I mean, it could easily have been a page. Like boat comes, sees an island, get off the boat, they walk across the thing, they stand there, he goes in, he walks around, whatever, you know. But it, but but again, it's uh, this overwrought writing of every detail for four pages. But it also gives uh, you know a better understanding of exactly what we're shooting how long things are going to take, um, and, and it helps, I, I feel like it helps my collaborators un, under, understand like what we're doing. Even that long close-up of the two of them standing with the eyeline towards camera was a very hefty paragraph about what we were supposed to convey uh, uh, from their faces in that, in that moment. So let's get into something that's actually interesting. Uh, so, you know, researching the period is my whole thing. Um, and, uh, I, you know, there's nothing better about being period accurate, but it's something that really excites me. And if there is anything, uh, like, you know, I said that my interest in ghost stories and fairy tales and whatever perhaps is unique about me, but if there is anything unique about my films, it's perhaps like my uh, obsession with being accurate. Uh, of course, you know, Bram Stoker's Dracula and Peter Brook's King Lear are fantastic examples of films that aren't period accurate in any way, shape, or form, but are, take you into incredibly rich, transportive, believable uh, worlds. I guess Dracula is kind of stylized, but it's great. Um, and for me, uh, you know, I like to... to, to uh, I like it when I don't understand these people. I like it when I'm researching Puritans and I think how and could this kind of English Calvinism be hopeful for anyone? And then be reading and reading and reading, struggling like this, they, these, are, these are alien thoughts, these are alien people. And finally, you know, reading John Winthrop's uh, letters to his wife back home in England and that they were like praying at the same time. They didn't know about time zones, but you know, they thought they were praying at the same time. And, uh, and, and, and things like that, all of a sudden you see, okay, they're human like me. And finally you can unlock this door where you realize like, oh my goodness, like if I was alive then, I would have thought exactly like them. I, of course I would have. And not only that, like I can see how that kind of thinking still resonates in culture today. That for me is the most exciting moment. So when, so, and that requires a lot of, of, uh, of, of reading. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you, you know, in, in the creation of, of the physical world, which also begins in, this, in the script phase, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm also looking at like tons of, of visual imagery to understand all this stuff. Because again, the atmosphere is an, an accumulation of details. And if I were to be creating uh, a fictional world, perhaps if I was like J.R.R. Tolkien uh, and was that kind of genius and had that kind of time on my hands, I could create something that specific. But generally, it's not going to be as specific as the real thing. So if I'm just taking research and, not, and, and saying, this is exactly what it is, team, let's recreate it to the best of our ability, we have a huge amount of detail, more detail than, than we could have if we had uh, conjured it up ourselves. At least that's my thinking. 
And so, uh, you know, you read uh, secondary sources, you read primary sources, you read children's books on it to get like another base overview after you've already gone deep. You watch crappy YouTube videos. You just, you go into uh, museums, you consult with historians, you do whatever needs to be done to find out as much as you possibly can. Uh, and you know, with the lighthouse, for example, it's all built on research. So my brother said a ghost story in a lighthouse. That was inspired imagery. Then on day two, of researching, I read about Small's uh, lighthouse tragedy. Two guys, both named Thomas, one older, one younger. They get marooned on their lighthouse station uh, because of a storm. Uh, the old one dies, the young one goes mad. That's my story. That's the, 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 that's the base of my story. And then, I, I, you know, the, the, the lighthouse keepers, uh, the instruction to lighthouse keepers, the manual, that becomes a huge key. This, all the tasks that they're doing and the rules that they're not supposed to break, that becomes inspiration for all kinds of scenes. Uh, and then uh, the photographs of 19th century lighthouse stations tell you a whole lot, not just about my dollhouse, but more. You see the boathouse with runners and a, and, a, and a lifeboat in it. Well, I guess at some point, Rob Pattinson's gonna try to escape and pull that lifeboat out. You know, And so all that stuff is incredibly helpful. Uh, and then, uh, we, you know, we continue uh, to amplify our knowledge in these different areas. I'm saying we because I wrote this with my brother. <laughs> um, and in uh, considering Melville, which you would if you were writing a New, a New England 19th century maritime story, uh, you start getting into classical mythology. When you start getting into classical mythology, you start thinking about symbolist painting uh, from the period. And, uh, and so Sasha Schneider and Jean Delville uh, who are doing like mythic uh, paintings in a homoerotic style become uh, perfect candidates uh, as imagery that's going to work itself into the script. Um, in writing period dialogue, it's the same kind of, of rigor. Uh, with The Witch, um, I, <clears throat> I felt that, I don't know if I agree with this conceit today, but I felt that because the Puritans uh, were so to use the word again, rigorous in their beliefs, uh, so, so devout that I felt I needed to use their own words to be respectful to them. I don't know if that I agree with that now, and I think it might have been disrespectful to use their own words, but that's what I did. Um, and uh, like, luckily, because it's early modern English, that's the uh, period of Milton and Shakespeare and Spencer. So there's many books uh, about and, and thesauruses uh, with the vocabulary and the rules, um, which was incredibly helpful. But I also read tons and tons and tons and tons of, of primary source material and made my own uh, th thesaurus that wasn't a one-to-one, -one, but sort of like a vibe. So things you might say when you're chastising your children, things you might say when you think your daughter's a witch, things you might say to your goat. What, and, and, and so you kind of are pulling from, from all these different things. And some of the dialogue, early on became uh, w w a bit of um, a collage that then I need to like hone into the separate voices for different characters and, uh, and, and make it much more uh, specific and mine. But there were certain, like things that the children said when they were possessed are things that, I, that, that children supposedly said when they were possessed. And that was, at the time I wrote this, important to me. Uh, but very often in my research, 
like it, I, uh, something would inspire a, a scene. So John Winthrop, the first governor of Massachusetts who I mentioned earlier, he, I, he has a very personal religious diary that was a real treasure trove for me. And he wrote that he dreamed, quote, that, he was, that I was with Christ upon the earth and uh, that very instant with him in many tears for the assurance of the pardon of my sins, etc. I was so ravished with his love towards me, far exceeding the affection of the kindest husband, that being awakened, it had made so deep an impression in my heart as I was forced to unmeasurable weeping for a great while and had a more lively feeling of love than ever before. So in this next clip, I take that, it inspired a scene with the mother and the witch, and she uses half of that, and she uses it to a different end. Um, the other dialogue in the scene with her and her husband is very much a fight that I might have with my wife, or a fight that my parents might have had only in early modern English. Uh, and I, I apologize if Kate Dickey's uh, Scottish-tinged Yorkshire accent is a bit tricky to understand, but at least I'm in the UK and not the States. Let's do it. Just remember John Kemp's son. That first winter, he was tormented of Indian magic. This is not the same. This is unnatural providence. I know not that. Look at my son. Will. What? Think. Think what? Think. I have no thoughts. Does this not look like witchcraft? What witch? Who does this then? Who? I thought there was a child. We'll go back to the plantation in the morning. Find a good family for Thomasin. We'll take Caleb to the doctors. He'll tell if this be some natural ill or not. Yet we cannot return as beggars. I'll scour the field. There must be some fruit yet untouched by this rot. I beseech thee, Catherine, what canst thou do for him presently? How might we all bear it to the village with no horse? Well, the little corn and the goat should fetch a fair price. We'll, we'll back with Caleb and sell them, return with the horse for the twins and Thomason. You cannot leave them here. Well, Thomason, indeed. Oh, forget the crop, Will! What? What dost thou want, Catherine? Tell me and I will give it thee. I want to be home. Thou shalt be home by candle time tomorrow. In England. Oh, Will. I also have a confession to make. I never meant to be a shrew to thee. <laughs> I have become as Job's wife, I know it. But since Sam, since... My heart's turned to stone. I 
I had a dream once. It was when I was of Thomas and Jesus. That I was with Christ upon earth. Oh, I was so very near him. And in many tears for the assurance of the pardon of me sins. And I was so ravished with his love towards me. I thought it far exceeding the affection of the kindest husband. And since Samuel disappeared, I have such a sad weakness of faith, I cannot shake it. I cannot see Christ's help is near. I pray and I pray, but I cannot. I fear I cannot ever feel that same measure of love again. Thou shalt have of it in heaven. I'll be in field. If you can spare a while, do. We'll leave it dark. I promise you that. I do like the performances, Alexa or not. <laughs> Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, there's an example of that. Um, in, in The Lighthouse, my brother and I did not, very, very rarely used in, intact sentences. Um, we, uh, we were studying all kinds of things to create two different um, uh, forgotten New England dialects from the end of the 19th century. I mentioned Melville. Um, uh, Stevenson is not from New England, but certainly with some of the maritime stuff, uh, he, we, we felt he could come in handy and, and Coleridge too, all the usual culprits. But then, of course, we turn to Lighthouse Keeper's journals and diaries, uh, and that was very fruitful for Robert Pattinson's character as a former lumberjack. I found a treasure trove of interviews with former lumberjacks from that period. Um, but who became the most helpful was a writer named Sarah Orne Jewett. And she was writing in the state of Maine uh, in, in, in our period. And she was very concer concerned or, or interested in, in dialect herself. And so uh, she would be interviewing sailors and sea captains and farmers and then writing her Maine stories in phonetic dialect. So that was the key. Uh, and uh, a, Defoe has a couple sentences, like when he's wistfully thinking about the past, that come from Jewett. Uh, but other than that, uh, my brother and I were working with all this source material and various slang dictionaries, uh, 19th century slang dictionaries separated into region and, um, uh, and, and nautical dictionaries and, and lexicons to, to really create something uh, or, or our best version to recreate something. Uh, and my wife found uh, a dissertation by a woman named Evelyn Starr Cutler, who, uh, and her dissertation was on dialect in Jewett. And thank you, Evelyn, because she, um, she, she, she provided rules. And we had those, I had those rules when I was writing The Witch, but, but who, if not for Evelyn, would have provided rules for how to 
uh, working class people in, 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 uh, in, 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 in the Northeast of America would have spoken. So she was able to break it down and, and talk about what words are omitted and where there's rhotic displacement and so on and so forth. So we could make sure that these 12 things were always consistent with Rob's character and these 10 with Willem's or uh, whatever. Uh, and it was very important you know, when we got to her, but, but from the beginning we were writing in dialect before we totally were fluent in it. Uh, because we were trying to get our minds to, to think differently, as if you would write in, a, in, a, in another uh, language. So, uh, so this next clip, uh, it begins with quite naturalistic dialogue or our attempt at it uh, based on our research. But then Defoe goes into a kind of rant that I think is, uh, uh, is a bit theatrical. Like I like I, I think that you know the the the, the influences uh, of uh, Sam Shepard and, and Pinter and like dare I say out loud Beckett uh, show themselves to be clear because uh, even the uh, rantiest ranter uh, might not go on for this long, but it was fun. What do you call that, sir? What? I mopped and swept twice over, Ye sir. lion dog. Well, I swept them. Tis begrimed and bedabbled. Unwiped, unwashed, and disdained. Get some kind of purr out of molesting me. Come now. I already says... How dare ye contradict me, you dog? Now look here. I ain't never intended to be no housewife nor slave in taking this job. And it ain't right. These lodges is more ramshackle than any shanty boys camp I ever seen. The Queen of England's old fancy housekeeper couldn't even done no better than what I done. Because I tell you, I scrubbed this here place twice over. And sir. I say you did nothing of the sort. And I say you swab it again and you swab it proper like this time. And you'll be swabbing it ten times more after that. And if I tells you to pull up and apart every floorboard and clapboard of this here house and scour them down with your bare bleeding knuckles, you'll do it. And if I tells you to yank out every single nail from every molding nail hole and suck off every speck of rust till all them nails sparkle like a sperm whale's pecker and then carpenter the whole light station back together from scrap and then do it all over again, you'll do it! And by God and by golly, you'll do it, smiling lad, cause you like it, you like it cause I says you will. Contradict me again, and I'll dock your wages. You hear me, lad? All right, sir. Ow. Swab, dog. Swab. Yeah, so I don't know if that's mythic, but it's not naturalistic either. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you, you know, one thing that I just didn't mention with the with the research looking over my notes here is just uh, is the other thing is you're always learning more and I'm and you're always and I'm writing in tandem so I can research some stuff write some stuff research some stuff write some stuff uh, uh, the whole time and you're constantly revising as you find more clarity on what the world is the 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 Viking script um, was there was a tremendous amount of research that I did. My my co-writer there um, is Icelandic, 
and like really knows a lot about Vikings. Uh, but we have consulted with three of the greatest uh, Viking historians recently, and uh, we miss some stuff, you know. And and that means that it's it's it, but it, and it's tricky because there's some things that you can say, okay, like we'll fix this, we'll fix this. But then it's like you know we've made this sandcastle and we have this glorious tower that we're really proud of, and we have to smash it now. It's horrifying. But sometimes you just have to like suck it up and smash it and rebuild it better. Uh, so. In conclusion, that was a bit scattered, uh, but hopefully uh, during the Q&A, uh, we can find a way to tie this all up in a bow. Or maybe I'm exposing myself as someone who's more interested in atmosphere than story through this lecture. <laughs> okay. Hi. That was kind of incredible. Thank you. Ooh, I'm glad you thought so. <laughs> I'm not even going to try and pretend to play um, intelligent, intelligence gymnastics with you. So I'm going to maybe start and strip it all the way back and start from layman's terms in terms of process. Sure. In everyday terms. Yep. Um, kind of just routine, waking up in the morning, when the idea is in place, when it's in place, is it already mapped out in your head before you put... Pen to paper. Please. Yeah, I think it's sort. I think again, again, it, it sort of depends. If I'm writing uh, alone, uh, I I can be quite free. Uh, I have uh, my little notes about my three act structure or my five act structure, depending on the piece, um, that I can c kind of go back to and, and tweak. But I am sort of finding it as I go, and I'm allowing myself that. If I'm writing um, for a studio, like if it, you know, I, I've never written something like for hire. But I have been paid, commissioned to write my own piece. Um, and so therefore, I do need to have a treatment for the studio to be sure that they actually like what they're paying me to write. Um, uh, uh, but you know, with, with, with things on spec, I will just kind of let it happen. Uh, when I'm writing with another writer, it's, a, it's essential that we outline things very clearly before we put pen to paper. But again, things evolve, and the whole sandcastle metaphor, whatever. So then writing with another writer, writing with your brother on the lighthouse, um, picking up on the idea of dialect and naturalism, and just even the last scene we've just taken a look at, there's a poetry to it, and a rhythm to it, and a beat to it. Yeah. Um, how do you, A, create that in a way that's communication between two people and talking to a conversation, but then write that with another person? Uh, you, I don't know. You just do. <laughs> I, I, uh, sorry. I think my, I mean, my brother and I know each other pretty well. We're brothers. So that helps. And I think, you know, in the, in both writing with my brother and with, uh, the Icelandic poet and novelist Sion, who's, uh, a much better writer than I am. It's like, I mean, I, I, I'm finally sort of like in charge, you know, and that does help clarify things. Um, uh, though both of them are incredibly talented, and I respect them so much. So if they're really telling me, like I've made a mistake, I you know I I, I listen. But I think um, it's you just kind of toss things back and forth, and I, you know with uh, with my with my brother, um, we're 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 pretty well uh, aligned on what this what what this was, 
And I think sometimes um, when with working with, with Sion, I tend to like gild the lily and he tends to say, you can take it back a bit with that Nordic sensibility. Um, and with the lighthouse, you did kind of undersell it in the way that you said that it was just maybe every scene is a similar conversation between two people with a different power play. And it's so not that, it's so kind of um, mental gymnastics again between the two of them and ever so carefully and cleverly leads to this incredible finale. So the time of kind of placing that and writing with your brother again, those scenes together, how did you kind of piece together a story and an arc and a narrative to get to something that, you know, essentially is two people in one situation? So I had that, that basic plot I mentioned from Small's uh, Lighthouse in Wales. Then, I, you know, very quickly I was like, okay, there needs to be a mermaid in the movie. And she needs to be washed up on shore at the midpoint. And there's a mystery in the light, and there's a foghorn, and there's like all these bits and bobs. And I wrote some stuff. Uh, and then years passed, and my brother and I were like, got together to really write this thing. So I gave Max the sort of 11 pages that I had written, all my notes. I rewrote them in a way that could be decipherable to another human being. Uh, and then I gave him a list of movies to watch and books to read. And a month later, we reconvened and started talking about how to make sense of this. And we talked and talked and talked and talked, and then Max wrote an outline, and it wasn't great. And Max wrote another outline, because I was also writing two other things at the time. Um, so that's the other thing, is like, I, um, like, I really am enjoying collaborating with other writers, but I've found that because the movie business is so tricky, if I don't have more than one thing going at the same time, I'm, I'm, I'm painting myself into a, a corner. Um, so, so, uh, so anyway, back to this. So then Max wrote a third outline, and Act 1 and 2 were strong. Act 3 was not working. We, we, we just couldn't find it. Um, uh, and, but I said, you know, we're in good enough shape. So Max, break Act 1. So he wrote Act 1. I revised it. Then he wrote Act 2. I revised it. And then I was so excited that I wrote Act 3, and we actually had, like, a movie. And from there, we just passed it back and forth, back and forth. But once we had had, once we had found that uh, that first version, like we, I like we realized that we had kind of retold some some myths by mistake, uh, not by mistake, but just by whatever by the muses uh, uh, that we were conjuring. And and so we said, okay, well let's let's amplify our knowledge on Prometheus and Proteus and. Uh, Triton and Neptune, and then see how we can further infuse the next draft with our knowledge of all that stuff. Uh, and that led to some fairly heavy-handed imagery in the movie, but um, sometimes you just have to go with it. Go with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of mentioned as well when you were talking about the idea that you've been researching, 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 and then um, that you're perhaps um, in kind of the 17th century or the 19th century. And to you, it might not be resonating today, but then obviously it has resonated with audiences today and thematically with the witch and kind of being the portrait of the dark feminine and with um, the lighthouse looking at toxic masculinity. Did you, do you realize that when you're 
writing that this, this uh, yeah no I, I I was trying to say like like no uh, when you're done when you're done writing like you can you can see it but but not in it, it not when I, I, I know I don't see it when and how important is it for you to have kind of something that obviously is so embedded in a specific time and space but then can have some sort of I think you said it's not about message but well it's just like so I'm, I mean I'm after this kind of uh, archetypal story uh, I can't know if it's gonna work for forever um, but um, the the best stories stick around there's a reason why people talk about Oedipus there's a reason why people talk about Hamlet there's a reason I'm not gonna keep going but you know, uh, Marie-Louise von Franz, who was uh, a prominent uh, Jungian, said that like Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales are going to die because they aren't like essentially human the way many of the uh, grim fairy tales are. And that like Hans Christian Andersen was like a, a demented Victorian and his, uh, his stories are too wrapped up in his Victorian uh, uh, repressions and whatever. And she's right. Like The Little Mermaid is kind of sticking around thanks to Disney, uh, but the Hans Christian Andersen fairy tales are not being told at the same frequency as they once were. Um, uh, is The Lighthouse a grim fairy tale? No. <laughs> uh, but, but I guess the idea though is that you're trying to have something that that resonates in, in any time. And I think by, by being, by trying to <clears throat> have it be an, all about the time period in which it's set in, instead of making any kind of concessions for a contemporary audience, I feel like I have a stronger chance of it being timeless. Because obviously, as much as I try to get in, into the, the mindset of the people of that period, it is slightly impossible. So, so it finally is only going to be a mirror of the mindset of today, uh, but uh, and, and but you know, you, using the, that the lens of the past to to reflect back on ourselves. I mean, I, that's a little, <laughs> but I think you know what I'm saying. There's still spaces for interpretation because obviously you can't yeah. ever know. Yeah, you can't ever know. Um, I'm gonna skip in a little bit forward in terms of kind of the visual look and how that relates back to the writing in terms of looking at kind of the notion of four by three. Do you have all of those things in your head and in place when you begin the writing process? It, and uh, then how does that affect kind of the writing, obviously the claustrophobia of the lighthouse and how is that having an impact on the way you write? Yeah, I mean, the, the aspect ratio, um, it got a little smaller over the years, but but I always wanted it to be boxy, and I always wanted it to be black and white, 35 millimeter. That's something when I that I saw when I pictured the atmosphere. Um, and of course, like as you move forward, both in the writing and then in development and then in prep, you learn more. Things change, you know, and your preconceived notions are not always correct. But uh, but but you find you make choices that are closer to your original intentions, even if they weren't your preconceived notions about how to articulate your intention. Uh, and yeah, so sometimes I I, ha I see how it's shot, and I, and sometimes in certain sequences I write extremely wide shot, lighthouse tender, like in the middle of the sea, yada yada yada, like close shot, the hull carves through the waves, like blah blah blah. Sometimes I'll do that. 
which again, as a writer director, I can get away with because it's a terrible thing to do otherwise. Um, uh, and, and sometimes I see that and I don't write it because it's distracting to the flow of the scene. Uh, sometimes I just see a scene, a story, and I know that we're gonna have to find it later. Sometimes I see a scene with, that's a complicated action sequence or stunt or a visual effect or practical effect, and I think, okay, how can I write this in an achievable way? And sometimes I think, if you think about writing it in an achievable way, you're not gonna write it. So just write it and you'll figure it out. Uh, and you have to be blind to the realities of, of shooting to, to tell the best story. So then coming back, circling back to the idea of studio commissions or studio notes or producer notes, how does that then have an impact on kind of writing in that way? And do you leave things out and then? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not duplicitous because um, the, the most important thing is that everyone is on the same page. Because if we can't, if we don't, like I try to now, uh, after some experience, say every horrible thing that a studio wouldn't want to hear about what I'm doing, like straight away. And if they're scared at that point, like good, you know. But if they're, but if they're, but if they're still willing to listen after I've said like all the crazy stuff, then 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 we're good to go because I'm not gonna like shock them too much as we as we move forward. I think um, you know. I used to be very defensive uh, uh, when, when I was younger, uh, and now I'm not in the room. Uh, but when I get my notes, I go home, and I say, they're trying to ruin my movie, and I sleep on it, and then I realize, actually, these are smart. I think, I think that you know, like, um, a lot of times, uh, and this is, I'm sure, common knowledge to you, but a lot of times, the thought behind the note is right, but the note itself is not good. I think you know if you have multiple people saying something that is wrong with a scene, maybe they have different ideas about how to fix it. So there might be something. There's probably something wrong about that scene, you know, even if their solutions are poor. Um, and 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 so it's worth thinking about that stuff. And 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 uh, you know, and I mean, The Witch, the first draft of of, of The Witch that was presentable, there was no central protagonist. Um, it was we would fo we followed each of the family members carefully for a period of time, and then the film ended with Thomason. And my producing partners were kind of like, "Look, it's cool. We think it's cool, but it probably cannot be financed. It might be the best version of this movie, what you're doing, but but we think it may never get financed if you do it like this. If you have a central protagonist, I think we can finance this movie." And I was very upset about it again, like at that time, like incredibly defensive. Uh, but I thought, okay, I can make it about Thomason, and I can deal with that. You know, one of the things I don't love about The Witch, though, is I think that there are these kinds of, uh, you can feel that the original version wasn't only her, you know? Uh, and there's good things about that as far as like the world building is concerned, but there's bad things about that as far as like having the best narrative you could have. Then when you at that point go into filming with kind of script that maybe you're 80, 90% happy with. I was happy with the script at the time. Yeah. You know, now I have my things, but it was, I mean, I had many years because no one wanted to finance it for so long. Like I had many years to like get it in pretty good shape. Uh, I like the script better than the film. Um, I'm gonna ask a very superficial question about writing in animals. So you had the goat in The Witch, which I believe was kind of troublesome. And then seagulls feature very heavily in The Lighthouse. Did you think when you're writing that how I'm going to orchestrate 
Yeah, so now, uh, now I'm very, very, very cautious about writing animals. Not that I don't do it, but I do a lot of research about like, can these animals be trained? Are they legal to shoot with in the countries that I'm most likely to be shooting in? Like how, who, who trains them? What can they do? Blah, blah, whatever, all this stuff before I do that. So I didn't do that with the witch. The goat was a nightmare and, and you can't train a goat and don't write a goat in your movie uh, is my biggest tip of the night. Um, uh, unless they're just supposed to like stand around and eat stuff they're not supposed to eat. Um, and so then my bro, like I, I wanted uh, Pattinson's character killing a seabird to be like the, the catalyst that would bring the storm. Um, but my, and then my, and, and that inspired my brother to write all these fucking scenes with seagulls. <laughs> and he was telling me about it, and I was like, there's no way I'm going to do that. No, you know? And then he was like, he was like I urge you to read these scenes. I think they're good, and they were great. So, I, I, so we had to have a seagull. But the great news is, like, seagulls are, uh, are incredibly intelligent, and there's three very well-trained seagulls in the UK. So, uh, <laughs> you know, write, write seagulls right, right away. Um, I want to thank you so much for giving a phenomenal lecture, for creating two wonderful pieces of cinema. I know that we're all really excited to see what you do next. Thank you, Robert Eggers. Thanks. Thanks.